Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, the original additive manufacturing podcast and your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence. Brought to you by TCT Magazine. I'm your host, Sam Davis, and today we're joined by Vitro 3D CEO, Camilla Uzkatagi. Vitro 3D has spun out of the University of Colorado Boulder to bring to market its volumetric additive manufacturing technology, a photopolymer process which promises rapid 3D printing of precise parts. In the last 12 months, Vitro 3D has raised $1.3 million in seed funding and been named as one of five Formex 2023 Startup Award winners. During the episode, Camilla explains how the company is working to address the limitations of existing photopolymer technologies, how the volumetric AM process works to print parts rapidly, and what she sees as the big application opportunities for Vitro 3D. We also discuss materials compatibility and when we can expect Vitro 3D's technology to be commercially available. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more additive insight, head on over to tctmagazine.com where you can subscribe to the print edition of TCT Magazine and our weekly additive insight newsletter for free. Camilla, welcome to the Additive Insight podcast. Uh, Vitro 3D has spun out of the University of Colorado Boulder in the last couple of years and is bringing to market a photopolymer 3D printing technology. But I wanted to start uh, with your background and, and the background of your co-founder, Johnny, um, kind of coming up to today. So could you tell us, I guess, how you guys met and the work you were doing back at the university and, and how you've come to, um, you know, found a company off the back of that? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I'm going to start a little bit even before for them because I think it really paints the picture of what we're trying to accomplish with Vitro 3D. So my journey began as many, um, as an undergrad here in the United States, aiming to be a medical doctor. I'm actually from Venezuela, and I spent a lot of time working in um, a global health nonprofit that I helped found a chapter of in my undergrad university. And while I was establishing a health clinic there in a rural area of Latin America, I realized that despite having medical personnel, we lacked essential equipment and tools. And really, that was a huge moment in my life because that revelation steered me away from medicine and towards materials engineering, really aspiring to create solutions with broader societal impacts. And that's really what led me to pursue a PhD work. And in that PhD work, I concentrated on tissue engineering and regeneration, helping develop technology that I believe could someday be used to create synthetic human organs. During this time, uh, during my PhD, I met my co-founder, Dr. Johnny Hergert. And together, we started to realize that if we didn't take this really amazing manufacturing technology out of the lab, it would just stay in a scientific journal somewhere. And we jumped big and founded a company around this software-powered manufacturing technology and realized that this technology has the potential to transform how we make parts 
And we can get into a little bit of the technology later, but we were both really driven by this broader impact to change how manufacturing happens in the latest technologies and what we see as the future of uh, manufacturing in this space. And can you tell me how, I guess, 3D printing comes into it? At what stage was, you know, 3D printing clearly the um, the vehicle to kind of, you know, enact some of the some of the change you're talking about, and perhaps specifically, what was it about photopolymer technologies um, that kind of caught your interest there? Absolutely. So when I first began uh, my work in the PhD program at Steve Boulder, I was working on uh, sterilithography and then digital light projection based 3D printing. So I was building um, SLA 3D printers and digital light projection 3D printers in order to uh, attack these challenges in tissue engineering. And the reason why photopolymer was specifically interesting for this application was because of the resolution capabilities. When you start to think of new parts that we were making for this particular application, we were looking at resolution goals of 10 microns, 20 microns, and we saw that 3D printing was really the only technology that would be able to get us to both the resolution that we wanted to get to, and also more importantly in the tissue engineering space, we really needed to be able to have control over the properties of the parts to actually match what the tissue uh, of interest really acted like. So we saw that photopolymer additive manufacturing could both access the resolution and then with some tools that we developed in the lab and some methods to actually control the mechanical properties of these parts, we could then get really close to the native tissue properties and match that in a 3D printed part. So photopolymerization not only gave us access to the resolution as well as the ability to control the material properties, but it really opened up the different types of materials that we could print. And the different types of materials come really into play when you start to think about these new applications that we're really interested in. In um, in previous announcements and communications from Vitra 3D, I've seen the company talk about addressing the limitations of, of photopolymer 3D printing technologies. What are those limitations from your perspective? And I guess what has been the key to addressing some of them as you've developed your technology? Yeah, so as I mentioned, when my uh, co-founder and I were working in the lab and collaborating on 3D printing, it was really based around stereolithography and digital light projection technology. And uh, during our PhD, my PhD advisor, Bob McLeod, over at University of Colorado Boulder, Professor McLeod has an amazing expertise in optics, and we started a collaboration with Lawrence Livermore National Labs and the University of California, Berkeley, where we started to sort of dip our toes into the new technology that had come out around that time in volumetric additive manufacturing. So this was towards the um, mid to end of my PhD where I was what I would call knees deep in the biggest challenges of 3D printing. What we saw is post-processing, um, the lack of material availability in the high viscosity space, and also uh, just the speed of um, SLA and digital light projection 3D printing that I was working on at the time. 
So by the time that I graduated and I joined the McLeod Lab as a postdoc, we were starting to pivot from digital light projection and stereolithography to really seeing what volumetric additive manufacturing could do in these uh, complex parts and new application spaces. And when we started to do that, we realized that volumetric additive manufacturing could solve some of the biggest challenges when we start to think about photopolymer additive manufacturing, such as the lack of ability to go into really high viscous materials, um, the fact that you need support structures in many cases in order to print these complex parts, and also just the speed of the process. When I was um, early in my PhD, 3D printing scaffolds for surgeries that we were implanting in some animal models, I was spending you know 20 to 30 minutes to print one five millimeter by five millimeter by two millimeter part. And then I started working on this technology when I was doing volumetric work that we could print something of a similar size in just a few seconds. So that really opened up our eyes to see not only is this technology solving some of the issues that we see in photopolymer additive manufacturing in a layer by layer way, but also gives us access to new tools and new abilities to make parts that were unprecedented in the layer-by-layer 3D printing space. Okay, and in terms of the the volumetric additive manufacturing technology that that you and your your team have developed, can you, I guess, tell us as much as you can about how that process works to to print parts? So uh, the best way that I can describe our volumetric additive manufacturing technology is through the idea of a CAT scan. So if you ever... Um, seen somebody get a CAT scan or gotten a CAT scan yourself or even heard of a CAT scan, you know that as a person, you go into a machine, that machine has a circular structure around you. And what that is, it's pretty much taking pictures for a bunch of different angles. And it's taking those pictures through some sort of light source. In the CAT scan case, it's going to be x-rays. What that does is that it takes pictures at these different angles and then it uses a computational algorithm to then take those pictures and then add them all up to create a three-dimensional virtual image. So that is how we get the CAT scan results and have a 3D virtual image of what's going on inside of the body. The principles of the particular volumetric additive manufacturing technology that we work on is an inverse CAT scan. So rather than taking a picture from a bunch of different angles of a 3D volume, what we do is we take a 3D virtual object and we deconstruct it into all the different angles that make up that part. The reason that's so important is because volumetric additive manufacturing unlike a lot of other 3D printing technologies, we say that the magic is in the software because we don't use just a standard slicer to slice a three-dimensional virtual object into its two-dimensional constituent slices. We have to go through a very robust algorithm that takes this three-dimensional virtual object, deconstructs it into these different 
angles and then allows us to use this algorithm to then incorporate the properties of the material itself and then project a two-dimensional image for each angle into the volume of a photopolymerizable resin. And then as those intensities overlap where they're highest, those are the only regions that are going to go from liquid to solid and go through that photopolymerization. So that was kind of where all of the volumetric additive manufacturing CAL method started. And what we've done at Vitro 3D is take inspiration from that, but completely flip it on its head and go from a geometry where you are rotating and adding up all these different angles through rotation. We're actually taking that and instead of going through rotation, we are using cones of light in order to add these images up and also produce parts volumetrically. So we had a lot of inspiration from the work that Lawrence Livermore and the University of California Berkeley did and also saw some limitations there and wanted to see if we could invent something completely new that would be able to access more of a mass manufacturing geometry. So the principles are still the same in that we use a bunch of different light angles that add up in a volume of resin to photopolymerize or solidify that part. But what we've decided to do at Vitro 3D is how do we make this technology as mass manufacturing capable as we possibly can in order to really disrupt the manufacturing processes that we see today. And I understand that one of the keys to that is printing at high speeds, right? So how how has Vitro 3D been able to, I guess, enable this kind of rapid printing capability and then also work to preserve, you know, accuracy and resolution and those kind of things that we would associate with photopolymer 3D printing. Absolutely. So I think the biggest thing is really emphasizing our algorithm, our ability to understand how light interacts with the materials that we're working with, allow us to make a smarter and smarter algorithm that is able to preserve the resolutions that we're interested in for the applications that make sense. So the first thing is ensuring that our algorithm is as smart as it can possibly be by incorporating the different material properties, as well as the properties of the light source itself. Additionally, one of the aspects that make volumetric 3D printing or volumetric additive manufacturing so magical is our ability to materialize something all at the same time. So because the process works by getting to a certain energy dose that then that critical energy dose is what's actually allowing us to go from liquid to solid and photopolymerization, we're able to materialize the entire part all at once rather than in this layer by layer process. So that makes it not only much, much faster, but it gives us new capabilities such as printing around existing objects, as well as printing in first part and then printing around that first part in a secondary process through this uh, volumetric additive manufacturing overmolding and overprinting capability. Okay, so can you tell me about, I guess, the, the light or the heat source you're using um, in, in this process? What What is different about that heat source and, say, a, a conventional photopolymer 
um, printing technology, if anything? Yeah, so uh, the main difference in our case is that rather than wanting to photopolymerize a small layer of material, which is usually how um, layer-by-layer 3D printing methods work in the photopolymer space, we're instead wanting to get as much light through the volume of our resin as we possibly can. So what that means is that we want our light that is on the sample plane to be as what we call collimated as possible, meaning that it's not changing very significantly through the volume of light. So what that means is that we have to use very ingenious optical designs to understand where the focus is of our two-dimensional projection and ensuring that our depth of focus is as large as it can possibly be. And then in terms of, I guess, the, the post-processing steps after the, the, you know, the part has been um, printed, what, what kind of... Um, what kind of processes are required to then get the get the part to its final stage? Yeah, that's a great question. So very similar to every other photopolymer-based uh, 3D printing method, we use a solvent wash and then we do a light-based post-cure. In our case, what we find as particularly interesting is that because we don't require the use of support structures and we're printing directly into a volume what we can do is we can automate the post-processing steps. So rather than having to take your part out of a printer, put it into solvent wash, and then take it from there and put it into a post-curing oven, what we can do is we can actually do the entire process inside of our proprietary cartridges where we can 3D print the structure inside of the cartridge and then without ever touching it, we should be able to get rid of that unreacted resin, swap in a solvent wash, and then right in there, be able to also do a light-based post-cure. The reason why light-based post-cure in our system works so well is because of the nature of the volumetric method, we don't need to use photoabsorbers. So our lack of photoabsorbers make our post-cure photopolymerization step really efficient because we don't uh, worry about something that we call in the industry the candy shell effect. So if you're 3D printing a layer-by-layer part and say you're only putting it through a photo based post-curing step, then because of all the photoabsorber that's in that part, you're really only going to get cure at the edges of that part which kind of turns into this candy shell in essence where the outside of the part is very stiff, but the inside of the part still may be very green or very soft. So that's when a lot of heat post-processing steps come into play for different chemistries or even for standard chemistries. But in our case, we can actually get that post-cure with light to be very efficient because of our lack of photo absorbers. And then in terms of materials, what kind of uh, materials are you able to process currently? 
Yeah, so we're able to process a lot of different materials, very similar to every other photopolymerization additive technology. The main limitation for us is transparency. So because we are working in a volumetric method, we want to ensure that that light is able to get through the volume as much as possible. So we just always need to ensure that our material is transparent to the wavelength that we're using. Otherwise, We've used a very broad host of materials going from very soft materials like hydrogels all the way to really stiff materials like urethane matrices with a secondary material for um, optical applications. So what's really awesome about the technology is that not only can you sweep this range of viscosities, but it allows us to access new applications that you just can't access with other photopolymer additive manufacturing technologies due to the viscosity constraints. Okay, and I, I want to come on to um, applications now. You, you mentioned um, tissue engineering um, at the top of our conversation and, and those kind of um, medical applications. What impact do you do you expect your technology to have in those markets? And I guess what what is it about your technology that makes it suitable for, for those applications? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, when we first came out of the lab, I, I felt a bit biased because my background was in tissue engineering. So we were looking to see the impacts that we could make in that space because we saw the impacts that we made in the academic space and how much work uh, was successful with some of the um, advent of this technology. However, as we began to launch the company and joined accelerator programs and conducted thorough market research, we identified a broader trend past tissue engineering that the world is uh, needing on-demand, intricate, customized parts, but manufacturers are still lagging in that space. And we really foresee this gap widening. So in the same way that Synthetic organs require high resolution, high speed, high complexity, and customization. We started to see that there were other industries that not only had this need, but could get us to have this technology in the world much faster than if we were, if our goal was to print a synthetic organ. So what we realized was that we had a platform technology in our hands and wanted to find the industries that had the most pressing issues. And in one of our customer discovery uh, conversations, something that somebody said to me, which I feel is very important for the entire 3D printing space, and it's that manufacturers are not going to use the new technology that we're proposing unless they absolutely need to, unless they have an existential challenge that will be solved by the new manufacturing technology. And that's really been our true north. How do we ensure that the industries and the markets that we're targeting, both early stage as well as later stage, really need this technology and it's not just a nice to have? And one of the other applications that we found and actually found us was the electronic components market that not only is a very horizontal industry, but there was a huge market pull for our solution due to uh, just not only the 
advantages that I mentioned before, but some challenges that the electronics components industry is facing um, at the time today. So that's really been our driver, really looking for industries and applications that need our solution and can't see a future of their innovations without our solution. So as I said, I think, you know, our big dream is synthetic organs, but along the way, we are planning to disrupt some industries that really need this technology, such as the electronic component space, as well as some more popular 3D printing applications, such as the dental aligner and dental devices that the dental aligner industry really wouldn't exist without additive manufacturing. So it's definitely a place where we also see our technology making a huge disruptive impact. Yeah, I wanted to mention the the dental aligner market. So is that um, a a case of a a similar application of 3D printing to what we've already seen in terms of the molds? Or would it be more of a direct um, aligner Uh, manufacturing that you would be targeting there? So we are targeting direct aligner manufacturing. Like I mentioned, we are really looking to be the biggest disruptor in the additive space to really get to those applications that absolutely need us. And when we think about direct aligner printing, one of the issues and one of the challenges that the industry has had in order to access that what we call holy grail is just the lack of materials. So the materials necessary for aligning teeth are actually quite different than the materials necessary for retainers. So we are already starting to see 3D printers in dentist offices making retainers and making other uh, dental devices. However, we haven't yet seen the 3D printing of aligners because there's a higher bar that you need to meet in order to be able to move and align teeth. And from some conversations that we've had in the industry, one of those challenges is the material capability. So because these materials need to have, you know, toughness, they need to not absorb a lot of water and a lot of other capabilities, we're seeing that these materials are actually getting to be higher and higher viscosities. And these layer by layer 3D printing technologies aren't able to... um, accommodate for these higher viscosities. There are some technologies out there that do heating and are able to make that polymer or the monomer in that case be less viscous during the printing process. So that's one of the ways that's gotten around it. But we see volumetric making a huge impact by being able to broaden the range of materials and give us access to newer and newer higher viscosity materials that could address the challenges that we're seeing today with direct aligner printing. In, in terms of materials, are you, um, as a, as a company, developing the materials in house yourselves, or are you are you working with, with with partners to kind of develop those materials for the for the printer? Yeah, we're currently working with some really amazing partners in this space for some of the different applications. 
we're very applications focused. So our biggest priority is just ensuring that the materials that we're testing and that we're using are going to meet the needs of our future customers. We are working with some awesome partners uh, that are helping us develop materials. However, we can't just use something that's off the shelf and just, you know, buy it from Amazon because we have very specific photo initiators that we use and we have very specific absorbance requirements requirements for our materials. So it's definitely a collaborative effort to get the best materials possible into the Vitro 3D additive solution. Yeah. And does that affect how you kind of engage with customers? Are you being quite targeted then rather than just releasing a, a printer and allowing people to use whatever materials they already use? It's a material, a, a machine, this material that we, that we use that works at the machine. And then we're going to, you know, target specific um, customers in specific markets to kind of address some solutions, uh, so address some problems, sorry, that you as a company have identified. Exactly. So our biggest mission from the beginning has been to be a solutions provider. Mm. So rather than thinking of ourselves as a company who, you know, makes a box that we sell to customers and we tell them, you know, let us know when you have any challenges, we're really focused on working with our customers and developing custom hardware solutions that can be installed in the place that makes the most sense for them and ensuring that the materials that they're needing to use have already been certified by Vitro 3D. So because we have some specific requirements and our algorithm depends on the materials characterization of the materials that will be used, it is required that our algorithm certifies the particular materials and then they're able to be used with our system. So that's why we kind of think of ourselves as more of a software hardware solution versus just a 3D printing company because our hardware is fairly simple. It looks very similar to anything you will see inside of a DLP or an SLA 3D printer. The main differentiator is really our algorithm and our software, which incorporates some really intelligent algorithms, really awesome material characterization in order to predict what's going to happen in the volume of that resin and make the best parts possible with the material properties that our customers need. Mm, a, a couple of uh, <clears throat> general uh, industry questions. What What is your assessment of the additive manufacturing industry um, in terms of its maturity, in terms of adoption and, and applications and so on? Yeah, so I think the additive manufacturing industry is an extremely exciting place to be working in. I think we are all really excited about the promise of the technology and feel really passionate about what it could do. At the same time, I have seen some efforts to be a do-it-all manufacturing process. And I think if manufacturing teaches us anything is that manufacturing 
gets adopted and manufacturing innovates when you are solving huge challenges for specific customers and specific applications. So I have seen some really awesome companies out there focusing in a similar way as we're doing on being a solutions provider and ensuring that we're bringing value that is unmatched in any other industry. And at the same time, I think we have... Uh, as an industry, often fallen into the trap of we can 3D print anything. And I think the more we focus on ensuring that the additive manufacturing solution we're providing is actually solving a big challenge rather than being a one-size-fits-all solution, the better that we're going to do as an industry as a whole. And we're seeing some really amazing companies uh, attempt to do that. And we're also seeing the market adapt and ensure that if you aren't a company that is primarily focused on being a solution provider and solving the biggest challenges of the industries, perhaps you're not going to survive as well as companies that are specifically focused on solutions. So I would say that's my overall assessment, but I do feel very inspired by a lot of the things that I see in the industry. And I feel very hopeful of what we can accomplish together as an industry. You mentioned there in your answer, uh, the word innovation. And and with all of the M&A activity going on over the past few years, I've had conversations with people who have questioned whether now is the right time for that kind of consolidation or whether you know there there is you know there are still so many challenges we need to address as an industry and therefore there's a, there's still a need for for innovation what are your thoughts on that kind of you know innovation versus consolidation i think like many things in the world it's a little bit of a and a little bit of b mm. we are going to see consolidation in order to address some of the market pulls and market constraints that make it so the bottom line is, you know, the most important aspect of businesses. And I think that's where the consolidation is going to play a big role, just ensuring that how do we make sure that profitability is still a true north for the additive manufacturing industry. And at the same time, we're moving lightning speed as a startup, right? We're always innovating. We are always wanting to do things in a better way, in a faster way. And I think there's always going to be the need for innovation. And there's always going to be a balance of the huge behemoths and the biggest additive manufacturing companies that are paving the way in a more broader global sense while the startups and innovations coming out of university labs, coming out of garages, coming out of people's dreams that they had are going to be the uh, pushing force and in ensuring that these huge manufacturing uh, challenges are solved not only 
in a way that is focused on the customer and focused on providing the solution, but in the fastest possible way. And I think there's always a tug of war in some ways of, you know, in our case, we're asking ourselves, can we go faster? Can we, how many more resources can we dedicate to this in order to solve these problems in a faster and more efficient manner? And at the same time, there will always be the other pull of, just asking, how do we ensure that as an industry we survive and that the consolidation that's happening is actually better for the industry and not worse? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, finally, Camilla, and, and thank you so much for your for your time today. A, about a year ago now, Vitro 3D announced that it had raised uh, $1.3 million in seed funding, which um, was to help the company develop, you know, the the, the solutions that we've, we've talked about today. Where is the company up to in terms of building its, you know, its machines and developing its software, and I guess making them available to customers for purchase. Absolutely. So this past year has been a really exciting year for Vitro 3D. We've really pushed ahead on our technology, both on the hardware and the software side. We are reaching alpha, which we're really excited about. And we have some really amazing uh, strategic partners that are excited to use our product in their manufacturing lines. Uh, right now, we're currently raising another round to really get us to commercialization and first revenue. And we have some strategic partners that will be coming in on that round to just ensure, like I was saying earlier, we have enough resources to go as fast as possible to commercialization. So we're looking to be in pilots late next year and have a commercial product in 2025 and really go on and revolutionize the manufacturing industry from the inside out.